0: morning. Thanks for the introduction, Bill. Uh, I just want to echo what he said really quick. Uh, So my wife Lauren and I moved out here and we're excited to be out here in California with you all. Uh, And I want to thank you all as a church because part of what makes my residency possible is uh, you all it's you all uh, It's support from you all it's prayer from you all. So, in a very real sense i could not be doing what i'm doing now if it is not for you so thank you uh you know it's, it's interesting because in scripture specifically in uh the letters written by paul we see paul describing a particular joy and grace that is found among churches when they pray for one another And when they love one another, when they give gifts to one another. And of course, this this joy, it's ultimately a reflection of God's own giving of himself that in turn finds expression in us. And uh, this is the first time that I've received that giving, that, that grace, really, in this kind of capacity that's special. So thank you all so much. I might not know you yet, but very grateful for you very grateful and with that said uh, this morning i have the privilege of preaching one of my favorite psalms and that is psalm 34 psalm 34 and i invite you to turn there with me now and as you're turning there uh, i just want to pose a quick question just to get our minds engaged just to get the ball rolling Uh, And this is a question that's actually taken directly from this psalm. And the question is this. Who here desires life and loves to enjoy good things? Who here desires life and loves to enjoy good things? Or we could put it another way. Who likes the finer things in life? Who likes the finer things? You know, we all prefer brand names. We we want to keep up with the latest trends. We want to look a certain way. You know, we want the the new car or whatever it might be. Some of us probably have an inner foodie, and we're gonna refuse to eat any food that's not highly rated or go out to eat somewhere that's not highly rated. You know, maybe you're maybe you're about experiences. You know, you only you only live once, you're only young, so long, so you want to live life to the fullest and you want to feel alive. So forget about inconveniences like household chores or work obligations. You know, let's let's go to the beach or let's go to the mountains or you know, maybe you're sitting there thinking through your next trip that you have planned. You know, maybe you just prefer entertainment or even just simple fun times with family and and friends. So of course we like the finer things of course we do we'd love to enjoy good things it's it's rhetorical so why would I even bother asking the question right well there's 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 two reasons so first it, it gets us thinking about the things that we like and the things that we want and second it should get us thinking about why we like them and want them why we like them and want them. And that's really when the question gets tough. Why do we want these things? So what, what makes something worth pursuing? Will it bring you happiness? Is, is it even a legitimate source of satisfaction? Is your mood dependent on whether or not you attain those things? So you see, the question's actually really really important because you could even you could even phrase it like this if i just had fill in the blank i would be happy if i just had that one thing i would be happy man life would be good if i if i just had a different job and and made more money life would be good If I could just get away from everything and just have a break, oh, life would be good. I'd be happy. You know, if I could could get in shape or, or change my image just so people view me differently, that would make everything so much better. You see, explicitly or not, functionally, we are asking ourselves this every single day. If I could just have whatever it might be, if I could just have that one thing, everything would be fine. That's all I need. Now, don't get me wrong, but some of those things are they're good things, you know? Some of those things are good, but we have to understand, hey, that's, that's not enough. You see, to find that happiness, that, that contentment that we're after, we need something that is deeply good. And we need to live in such a way that is going to result in a full life a big task where do we look where do we look that is when we turn to psalm 34 this psalm that we're about to read this psalm is for the one who wants the finer things and for the one who's thinking hey if i just had that one thing i would be happy if that's you this psalm is for you so let's start reading in verse 1 it's Psalm 34 of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. But the humble hear and be glad. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord Redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of God. And I'd ask that you join me in a quick prayer before we dive into this text and just ask for the Lord's help as, as we begin to break it down. So please pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would meet us here. Give us insight. Into this psalm. Stir our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we may see that you are good, that we might believe it. Oh Lord, open our eyes that we might believe it. In your name. Amen. Here in this psalm, we have the answer to our questions. In this psalm, we have the answer to our questions. So With the help of the Lord, what we will see is that the full life is a joyful life lived in the fear of the Lord. The full life is a joyful life lived in the fear of the Lord. As we read, you know, it's it's as if the psalmist is saying, hey, the finer things, they're not enough. Stop putting so much stock in all your other wants that's no way to live what you should be thinking is if i had christ i know i would be happy if i had christ i know i would be happy so first we we, we want to get a better understanding of this happiness and that's going to be our first point is rejoice in the goodness of the lord and then second we want to know how to get this happiness. That's our second point. Taste the goodness of the Lord. So rejoice in the goodness of the Lord and taste the goodness of the Lord. If the full life is a joyful life lived in the fear of the Lord, then we need to look at this joy just a little bit more closely. So let's jump into it. Point It's point one. It is immediately noticeable that the overall tone of this psalm it's full of excitement. It is full of joy. It's pure joy. So the psalmist is not... You know, this isn't like it's It's your least favorite instructor or your least favorite professor up here. You know, the one who just stands in the front of the room and throws on the PowerPoint and just kind of lifelessly reads through all the slides. That's That is not it. What we have in this psalm, this is everybody's favorite teacher. This is the one who who understands we're dealing with something that's it's relevant it's important and he wants nothing more than for you to get it for you to know it these are the exclamations of an impassioned excited teacher you see the christian life is full of joy and praise it is full of joy with joy and praise and your walk with the Lord should be characterized by joy that is expressed through thanksgiving. That should characterize who we are as Christians. You know, sometimes that can be often overlooked. Thanksgiving can be often overlooked, but it is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. So just look at the, the psalmist model here in the, in the first two verses. I will bless the Lord at all all times. His praise shall continually, continually be in my mouth. And what's more than, than that, this, this joy can't be contained. This joy can't be contained. You know, this is not just, it's not just for the psalmist, it's, it's for you and me too. It's for us. So just, just look at some of the, the social elements of these verses. Magnify the Lord with me let us exalt his name together together so then immediately that kind of begs the question okay well what exactly are we magnifying about the lord what exactly are we giving thanks for so look with me here i think this is really cool verses four through seven the psalmist, which is David in this case, he, he writes this psalm and he sings because he has been redeemed from a specific situation, okay? And we actually know what this situation is because of the superscription at the beginning of the psalm. And the superscription, just an elaborate word for those few words that are before verse one, so of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. That's the context of the psalm. So there was, you know, essentially there's this guy named Abimelech who wanted to kill David, but then David was pretty cunning and he figured out a way to get out of it. And he wrote this psalm thanking the Lord for delivering him. Okay? But as we're reading this psalm, you'll notice that the psalm itself doesn't actually contain any of the details of the instance before Abimelech, does it? So we actually wouldn't know any of that just by reading the psalm. So why is that significant? Why is that worth pointing out? Because even though this psalm is written after a specific situation, David is singing of the Lord's redemption on a general level. So the effect being that David is praising God for being a God who habitually redeems. You see, this is just one, this specific situation is just one example among many of the Lord's redemption. This psalm shows that this is not just a one-time thing. God does this continually. It is part of his character. And we can actually take this One step further. We can go a little bit deeper. So when we, when David invites us, consider the social elements again. When David invites his listeners to magnify the Lord with him, you know, he's not just, he's not just inviting us to praise him for redeeming him from Abimelech. But rather, what David is doing is he is inviting us to examine our own lives. He's inviting us to consider our own stories and to praise God for his works of redemption in our own lives. So, as we sing in remembrance and thanksgiving of our own redemptive stories, then, just as the psalm says, then we magnify the Lord with the psalmist. Together, this is an invitation to consider the Lord's work in your own life. Let's go, again, another step further. And hear this. By considering our own redemptive stories, our own specific situations, we are not praising a distant God. We are not praising an impersonal God. We're not just discussing abstract concepts when we're thinking of our stories and of God and redemption we praise a God who is here a God who is active in our lives doing real things right here, right now God is here and you might be thinking well, of, of course he is, right, of course he is That's obvious. That's that's something that I learned as a child. Give me something deeper. Give me something better. Why would we invite this guy in here if he's just going to tell us that God is here? I get it. But I'll say it again, because I don't know if you actually heard me. God is here. Our God is a God who is here. You see, we can't just casually read over these verses. The author has real situations in mind. He is using vivid language to describe the Lord's activity. You see it throughout the psalm. The the Lord answered me, delivered me, heard me, saved me, encamps around me. You see, this is not just poetry. It's not just mere poetry. It teaches the reality of God's presence in the world today. There was a, a brilliant theologian, He's, he was older, reflecting upon his life, and uh, he said this, in just remarking of all his studies, he said that it is crucial that we develop a sense of thinking and speaking in the presence of God. It is crucial that we develop a sense of thinking and speaking in the presence of God. Now you see, this, this was a, a brilliant man. A brilliant man. He could have said any number of things were critical or any number of things were crucial. But he picked this seemingly simple idea. The idea that we have to understand that God is here. You see, in our, in our day-to-day lives, we, we typically don't think about God being near to us. It can be an afterthought. We typically just don't, we, we don't think about it. It's also, it's, it's the cultural air that we breathe, too. And it just, it wages war against this idea. It tells us that we are alone in a world of impersonal cause and effect. We have to fight against those ideas. You see, church, we cannot treat the supernatural as if it's something that's far away. You cannot treat God as if he is something far away. We have to learn to live with the greater sense of God's presence. Just, just think how your thoughts and your actions would change if we understood that we were thinking and acting in the presence of God. You see, if you, if you grip this, if we can grip this and understand it, it changes everything. There's protection and satisfaction and joy and relief right here. God is here. He's active and he is redeeming. But immediately, that sounds great. All that sounds great. But immediately, we're confronted with an issue. An issue many of us probably face. And it's that we don't always realize that God is here. And we're not always thankful. We don't always realize that God is here. and We're not always thankful. And some here might even be thinking like, hey, I, you know, I, I don't feel it. I don't feel joy. You know, I'm doing my best here to walk the Christian life, but I don't feel the joy of the Christian life. What do I do? What do I do? And, you know, I'll be honest with you that there's times when you're not going to feel joy. There's definitely times when I don't feel it either. But God is here. See, the times that you don't feel it, those are the times when you have to fight for joy. And the fight for joy, that's another sermon in itself. But it is entirely appropriate for me to speak a few words about it here. So friend, if that's you, if that's you, you're fighting for joy, I want to encourage you, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. There's a, there's a guy named Francis Schaeffer. He's, he's one of my favorite authors, and he, he said this. He said, when I lack proper contentment, either I have forgotten that God is God or I've ceased to be submissive to him. When I lack proper contentment, either I have forgotten that God is God or I have ceased to be submissive to him. So in effect, what he's saying is when, when I'm not joyful, I've forgotten that God is here. I've forgotten that God sovereignly reigns, and I've either lost sight of God or I am seeking some good apart from him. So you gotta put some work in. You gotta put some work in. You gotta search your heart. You gotta search your desires. Am I thinking rightly about God? You gotta think that. And pray, pray specifically for joy. Rally your heart and your mind around biblical truths, just like this psalm. And press into godly friends, don't go at it alone. If you're fighting for joy, don't go at it alone. And keeping this psalm in mind, I would also urge you to give thanks. To give thanks. You see, even in joylessness, we can still give thanks to the Lord. Initially, when you hear that, it kind of seems a little bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? It doesn't make a ton of sense, but it's actually perfectly biblical. You know, it's it's interesting. In in Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4, uh, Paul's writing to this church, and he's listing a whole host of sins to avoid, and you know what he says to do instead? He says, hey, don't do these sins, but give thanks. Give thanks. Why would he say give thanks instead? See, because once we we force ourselves to understand the glory of God and we start to make lists of all his provisions and lists of all his all his gifts, I think namely Christ. Oh think, think of Christ. You see, we realize how good he is. And he's gonna be the only thing that we want. You can fight joylessness with thanksgiving you can fight joylessness with thanksgiving and i'll even help you out i'll help you out with the first thing on your list and just look around you look at this church so i ask you or encourage you if you're fighting for joy look at this church there are people here who are willing to help so we've seen that there is a lasting joy And that this joy comes from God's presence and activity in our lives. And now we are invited to experience this joy. To experience it again or even experience it for the first time. This brings us to our second point, which is taste the goodness of the Lord. To taste the goodness of the Lord. So let's come full circle here. Think back to the beginning Think about our question. Those things that if you just had, it would make your life better. Now, got those things in mind. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Those who fear him have no lack. Blessedness and no lack. Man, I read that. That's, that is what I want. I want a life that is that's blessed, that I can live this life and have no lack. That is what I want. And now, this, this word blessed, this is an interesting word, too, because it means something more than just happiness, okay? When it says blessed, this is an idea of, of flourishing and thriving and having well-being in every area of your life. You see, it's, the blessed life is deeply satisfying. It is deeply satisfying. It's the life that we all want, and it's that very life that Jesus himself came to give. So John 10.10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So this psalm is teaching us that a full life is not found in the pursuit of or in any of those things that we were thinking about at the beginning of the message. That life that we're after is not found in those things. You want that joy that we just talked about, that, that joy that we see modeled in the psalm? If you want that, the psalmist is teaching us that that is found in Christ alone. That satisfaction is found in Christ alone. So what, what does it look like? That sounds great. What does it look like? How do I get it? How do I live in such a way to experience that blessed life, to experience God? See, the psalmist doesn't call out to us to declare that the good life is one with lots of money or lots of relationships or jobs. Verse 14, it's it's a call to seek and pursue peace. To seek and pursue peace. So initially I read that and I think, well, why in the world would I want to pursue those things over the things I want, you know? Seeking and pursuing peace does not sound nearly as much fun as getting the new car that I want. I get it. So why do we pursue those things? It's because those are the things that get God's attention. They get God's attention. So look at verses 15 through 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you see the, the joy and blessedness they're only attained when we live how we were created to live. For the Lord to look at you, he's, he looks toward the righteous. Or as we could see verses nine through eleven. We could also call this the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord, it's a peculiar phrase, and I would bet most of us don't go around every day thinking like, have I lived in the fear of the Lord today? Or am I living in the fear of the Lord today? You know, that's not something I, you know, ask myself frequently. So I was attempting to to find a different way to say this, but there's not really any words that are sufficient to get the same idea across. And I figured, okay, well, that's probably why the words are in scripture, because they're sufficient. So we have to know what this means. We have to know what it means to fear the Lord, because this, all this joy, this way of living that we're talking about here, it's founded on a life lived by one who fears the Lord. So we have to know what that is. So whether you've heard it or not let's let's just briefly consider it again and i'm going to use a definition from a guy named michael reeves and he defines it like this the fear of the lord is a love that trembles because its object is overwhelmingly and incomparably beautiful holy and glorious The fear of the Lord is a love that trembles because its object is overwhelmingly and incomparably beautiful, holy, and glorious. The fear of the Lord is ultimately a way of living. We don't live our lives in in terror or in dread or or something akin to anxiety. You see, we live in awe, in reverence, and in honor before the God who is here. Because you see, Before God, you are coming up against something that is immeasurably superior to yourself in every way. He is uninhibited by any limitation, a boundless greatness, a holy other than anything in the created order. And before such holiness, before such perfection, we want to live for him. And we refuse to take lightly any part of our relationship with him. That's our God. And if your understanding of god does not inspire such awe and reverence and love then i would suggest to you that your understanding of god is not big enough it's not big enough this fear demands and creates a healthy desire for a certain way of life it's by no means burdensome it's not a regretful way of living you're not missing out It's not simply a a list of rules to be followed or some kind of shallow morality. And I by no means of giving you, you know, three easy steps to an easier life or three easy steps to the blessed life. No, it's something better. This redefines our entire way of living. It's a good thing and it is the best way to live in the fear of the Lord. And look again. Once more, at the, at the vivid portrayal of the Lord's protection of those who fear him. You see, this is what we get. When you fear the Lord, this is what we get. This is why we fear the Lord, because we get God himself. We get God himself. The psalmist, the psalmist doesn't back down here either. You know, in the the midst of of the joyous psalm, he acknowledges that the righteous one will experience affliction. Verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. It's really realistic here, really practical. And this should come as no surprise to us because even though Jesus himself came promising abundant life, he also said, hey, you're going to face opposition and things are going to get pretty tough sometimes. It's not always going to be easy. But... Look at this. And consider everything that we've set up to this point. Consider the, the deep joy. Think of God's presence. Think of God's constant activity in our lives and how this changes how we think and live. Think about all those things. And look at this. Look at this. Verse 15. And I'm speaking to the one who is in Christ. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters in Christ in this moment. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cry. So I'm speaking to the one who needs to hear this this morning. The Lord is telling you, the God who is here is telling you that you are so dear to him that he's not going to take his eyes off you. Just let that sink in. The God who is here has you. He has you. It's going to be all right. It is going to be... All right, verse 17, when you cry, the Lord hears. He is reminding you this morning that when you pray, he hears you. He hears you. He's not just wasting, you know, you're not just wasting your breath. That that boundless God that we just described, he hears you. It's amazing. You see, church, that's what we get when we fear the Lord. We get God himself. We get God Himself. And finally, we we see the psalmist speak of redemption. Uh, And redemption, you know, that can take a a lot of different forms. But the fact is, is that if you are a Christian today, you know a better redemption than this psalmist ever did. Let that sink in too. You have been adopted as sons and daughters of God brought about by the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is amazing, church. That is amazing. Let's look at verse verse 22 really quick. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. There's a commentator named Derek Kidner, and he says this about this verse in particular. He just he says it so beautifully. He says, This whole verse is full of meaning, which comes to realization in the gospel. The Christian can echo the jubilant spirit of the psalm with added gratitude, knowing the unimagined cost of one's redemption and the unbounded scope of the Lord's refuge. The Christian can echo the jubilant spirit of the psalm with added gratitude. Added gratitude. That's you and me. We can echo with added gratitude. So, church, even, even though affliction will happen, you're safe. Oh, we're safe? We're, we're all after a, a happiness, and we're all pursuing these, these finer things in life in hope of finding happiness and joy in, in here. Not in those things we were thinking about at the beginning, but here. We have everything that we want. We have God himself. See, we don't fear the Lord because it necessarily makes the circumstances of our life easier. That's not why we do it. It can, but that's not why we do it. But we fear the Lord because the Christian's true joy, it's not found in ease, but it is found in the nearness of God. See, we're not after an easier life. We're after a deeper life. I will say that again. We, we fear the Lord because the Christian's true joy is not found in ease, but it is found in the nearness of God. We are not after an easier life. We are after a deeper life, a satisfying life. And this right here, in this word, that's where it's at. That is where it's at. And I'll end with this, just again speaking to my fellow Christians. Redemption may not be in sight now. It might not be in sight now. You might not feel joy now. Maybe you are fighting for joy. But consider your redemption. Consider the eternal hope to which you have been called. Your eternal hope. Man, you talk about a deep life. <laughs> it does not get much deeper than that. So leave here giving thanks at all times, for all things. Go living in the fear of the Lord, learning to see and identify God's activity in your life. It is a joyous way to live. It is a joyous way to live. And to the one here who, who feels lost, or you know, perhaps you're not sure what you believe, or maybe you're struggling with your faith, you know, whatever it is, I'll leave you with this. It's so verse 16 tells us that, that God does not ignore sin. There are consequences for sin. And whatever you think, if you just had, you'll be fine. I'm here to tell you, hate to break it to you, it's not going to satisfy you. It's much less save you. But this will. Jesus will. So if you have questions about this, if that's you, you're struggling, if you have questions, I would urge you, pull someone aside. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you. So, the full life is found in Christ. And it is a joyful life lived in the fear of the Lord. So, church, let's leave and taste and see the goodness of the Lord. With that, I'll pray and invite the band back up. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you give us yourself. We thank you that you are good, that you satisfy so, Lord, teach us to see you, teach us to love you, and teach us to walk in fear of you. Oh, Spirit, stir in our hearts today. and In your name we pray.